I am so excited about this case, Stu. You don't understand. I have done so many videos on Brandon Swanson. <laughs> like, I'm so excited. I can't let it go. I can't let this case go. Like, there's... Because you know I love an unsolved case, and I think you love an unsolved case, too. I know you love proper yeah. true crime cases that have the closure, but there's something about the disappearance of Brandon Swanson that's so eerie to me that I, I like, keep visiting it, like, over and over again to try to, like, run through. I'm, like, deep in, like, the Reddit threads where I'm, like, what are the theories? Like, why does this not make sense? How do we explain his last few moments? Because what's odd about this case is the last few moments that we know of of him being alive are, are heard on a phone call. That's oh what's really sinister about it. Do you, have you heard the name or anything? Do you know anything about this? Or are you going in blind for this one? No, I know. I'm blind. <laughs> just in general. <laughs> I'm blind except for the school photo that you sent me. You just dropped it in our text That's messaging. True, yeah. And you were like, this is him. Get ready. And it well, already yeah. freaked me out because he looks too happy for, like, <sighs> I know it's going to be uh, tragic. Yeah. I, well, I, I feel like I want to start doing that, giving you some, like, visual context before you go in just to see who the subject of the case is. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of blind, completely unrelated, but I'm back on my housewife shit, and I've been watching Kathy Hilton, who I I have a theory is blind. <laughs> is she not? Like, she have not? you gotten to Hunky Dory yet? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm watching the latest season of <laughs> Beverly Hills. Um, okay, I hope, good. yeah, I hope nobody who's, who's watching, I hope this doesn't spoil anything. It won't, but, like, so far, I, what is this, season 12 of Beverly Hills that we're on? Oh, my God. Is it really? It has to be. It's got to be. I mean, this is all after all of Erica's legal drama, but so far I'm kind of finding it slightly boring. I think because any of, like, the wild cards are out. Like, there's no Brandy. There's no Kim. Like, anything that would stir that pot a little bit is kind of pushed to the sides, and everyone's pretty neutral. Right now, Sutton is the... She is the pinnacle of the oh season, which I did Sutton. not expect. <laughs> Sutton, Sutton talk about your Southern darling. Southern queen. Yeah, <laughs> my problematic Southern queen. I know. Sutton's like the only one bringing the drama, but here's the, here's the problem. I know. For me, and don't let me go on a tangent because you, know you know I will. Um, the, <laughs> this the is already going to be a two-parter, Be- I can tell. <laughs> it's going to be. <laughs> the problem with Beverly Hills Housewives now is that it's, they're so aware of how famous they are, right? But it's mm-hmm. also like the labels, the the just lavish lifestyles. It's almost to a point where like it it's so blown out of proportion that it's like not authentic, not real anymore. Like I can't watch it. Like I don't believe it anymore. Like I there's a part of me that like now I think with the Erica stuff, I know with like the Dorit stuff, there was something that happened where, like, maybe her husband was in legal trouble, or she was, but, like, they don't actually have money now. Like, they're just Like, in my opinion, I think they're just, like, drowning in debt. I I think that's definitely true. I mean, again, this is all alleged. We don't know. But Dorit... Oh, my God, yeah. Specifically, I have (laughs) heard stories. I have... I know... (laughs) I was like, the last thing I need is someone someone to come to me for, like, a defamation suit. <laughs> but like Dorit, I have I just, heard like, that rumor. I just like drop the f bomb. It's like Jesus Christ. Bleep, bleep that out. Bleep that out. Okay. I will not. I will keep it preserved. <laughs> Although I do label these on um, I label these when we distribute them, and it's like, is this clean or explicit? And I'm always like, clean as a whistle. <laughs> Suitable for all ages. Family podcast. 
I told you not to let me talk about Housewives. And then you said Sutton, and it was game over. Well, like, okay, that's throwing me for a loop, too. I do agree with you that I think Dorit probably, Dorit and PK have no money. I think Dorit is now the, the primary breadwinner. What Erica said that threw me on my ass last episode was she was like, I can't get a divorce from Tom right now because at this point, I would have to pay him alimony. Erica Jane would yeah. have to pay him alimony. Oh, my God. I don't know how I'm going to pivot this back to Brandon Swanson, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> oh, Brandon, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm yeah, God. I'm sorry to the I'm sorry to the creepers who are listening. I'm sorry to the creepers. <laughs> it's my fault. No, it's my. I brought it up, and and yeah, Sutton's <laughs> blowing me away because I didn't. I never thought Sutton would be like the one shaping the arc of a season, but she looks great. I'm liking her a lot more, and she seems like more vicious like I've always seen Sutton as a very fragile person very sensitive but there's something about this season I don't know if she's on Lexapro or something like something is like smoothing her out where she's just like she's ready to like go for the jugular for anybody yeah yeah her um drama with the woman from oh my god why am I blanking on her name the one that's from like from the most recent season oh Diana 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 their drama is incredible to me because it's like Sutton who, like, everything she says is like, <laughs> you're not going to talk. Like, she's like she is so, like, for me, a little bit emotionally stunted sometimes. Like, she won't let herself go all the way. So when she does go all the way, it's, like, a little over the top. And then there's Diana who's just, like, licking her chops every two seconds diana i she's a she's a serpent like there's something about that woman where i'm like yeah i'm like i could fully believe that like <laughs> the theory about lizard people diana's one of them like <laughs> that tongue is out on her chin what is she doing that's actually your next um tiktok is just about her diana being, being allegedly a, uh, a serpent yeah a lizard she's, person she's one of the lizard people it's true she does it's a tick though she has that where she like can't stop licking her lips my sister and i were like noticing it we're like she's gotta stop that that's yeah. not good <laughs> like no sutton i don't know sutton's she's cracking me up erica is cracking me up because she won't stop drinking this season which i know i can't believe what we're gonna this is gonna be a whole episode <laughs> we're just gonna talk I know. about i know <laughs> I know I shouldn't have set us off, but let me let me rein us back real quick. But before I do, let's properly introduce ourselves. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Creep Time with Sightless Dean and Stu. Hi. Hi, everybody. Long time no see. I miss you. I haven't seen you in what, three hours? (laughs) (laughs) We just did this. (laughs) Oh, my God. But I just look forward to this so much. So I know these make me so happy. You have no idea. Like I... I get so I excited to, because you know I love telling you these stories, but like when I find a really good one, a juicy one like this, I'm like, oh yes. Because you're great at asking the questions. You've really, I feel like every episode you refine it more and more where I think at some point you're going to get a contract offer to become a private eye. <laughs> Stop. Literally my dream. We could. I mean, some sometimes when I look at these theories and I find the internet sleuths who like really do deep dives on these cases, I'm like, you guys could be working private eyes. Like you're... You're insanely thorough. You're so good. Yeah. Yeah. There was, I mean, there have been quite a few creepers who um, requested this case. Uh, I wouldn't be able to name all of them, but thank you if you're listening. If you did request Brandon Swanson, I am happy to cover it again and again. I've done a TikTok on this. I've done a full-length YouTube video on this. Um, I think we're going to jelly smack it. We're going to shoot one for Facebook, I'm pretty sure. Um, 
because the case doesn't let up. It's like endlessly mysterious. So, so sinister. But let me set this up for you. And I'm going to give you a little bit of exposition, just like I did last case with Missy Beavers, um, which if you haven't listened to, go back because that is also that is also a case. Um, I'm still but, unwell. I, I know. I know. And you watched the video, didn't you, after, after we actually covered it on the pod? What did you yeah. think? The way that they're just like, I think it's a woman. Okay. And the way that, but I'll say they, since I don't know, the way Mm -hmm. that they are like sauntering around, just like Mm -hmm. getting ready basically is so eerie and like, your favorite word, sinister. It, It Like what was going through their mind of just arriving half hour before you knew this woman was going to be there and you're just pacing hallways with a hammer. Oh my God. They're freaking out. Also... The fact that the now I totally see the costume thing, mm-hmm. like with the SWAT gear. Like in my head, I wasn't imagining it to be like. And then the fact that it said "police" on the back of the right in like huge font, like it was just it's so strange. The whole thing, and it kept me up. Yeah, it's almost so like definitely mix, go back and listen it's to like, that. Um, mix matched SWAT gear too, because I always thought like proper like full uniform SWAT gear said SWAT on the back, not police. Yeah, yeah. Am I am I crazy? But. And I, I yeah. think on this one, right above it, it said city. Did it? <laughs> no, it didn't. No, it didn't. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's terrible. It's yeah, city. if you're not in on the, the city versus county police um, inside humor, you need to go back and listen to the first few episodes, <laughs> which I hope to continue. In fact, this case, Brandon Swanson, we'll get into like some of the shortcomings of county police yet again. So, okay, let me let me give you a top line of the actual case. So, I'll paint the picture, and then I'm going to give you some backstory on Brandon himself, all right? So, the case actually takes place on May 14th, 2008. This was shortly after midnight when college student Brandon Swanson called his parents to come pick him up on a back road in Minnesota after he crashed his car. Do we know anybody from Minnesota? I don't. Isn't Monica from Minnesota? Oh, no, she's from Michigan. No, Michigan, Michigan. Kalamazoo, that's right. I was, te- I was testing <laughs> you, and yet the test, the test was wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I was like, I don't think so. Yeah, Michigan. Okay, so, yes, he's from Minnesota. He crashes his car on a back road, calls his parents. So while they're trying to find him, they stayed on the phone with Brandon almost the entire time. But then at some point... He begins to walk towards what he described as lights, which he either thought were their car or lights coming from a nearby town. And since they couldn't spot him, this was going to be the easiest way to get to them. They stay on the call the entire time. Then suddenly, about 47 minutes into that call, Brandon yells, oh shit. And he is never heard from again on that phone call. Despite tracking of the phone to the exact location police searches even trace canines and bloodhounds that were brought in they have never found him after that night and the case remains unsolved what are your immediate thoughts on that i think this is every parent's worst nightmare oh it's 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 actually incredible because his parents have done quite a few interviews and i've watched a lot of them for research how um astoundingly composed they are considering what happened and how kind of hopelessly mysterious this case is, but it is, absolutely. I mean, 
especially to be on the phone, not even getting word from police or something like that, but to actually be in the thick of it at the exact moment that he's gone. And you're just left without answers. But there are, there are a few components to this that don't make sense right off the bat. And I, I want to run you through a bit of the backstory on Brandon and what happened this night, um, because there are a lot of theories about this. Because we've got nothing. Like, when I tell you this case has nothing evidence-wise, that it's an understatement. So let me tell you a little bit about Brandon. So he was a Marshall, Minnesota native. So he's somewhat familiar and was near some... Like, near the area where he disappeared, right? So Marshall is actually seated somewhere in the southwest of Minnesota, and it's surrounded by farmland. It's like a lot of rural roads, it's small suburban areas, and certainly a lot of back roads as described in this case. So it probably wouldn't have been unfamiliar territory to Brandon. At the time that he disappeared, he was just 19 years old. So at this point, he would have been wrapping up his first year of college. He had graduated from Marshall High School just the year before and was attending Minnesota West Community and Technical College where he was studying wind turbines. And it's not totally clear what exactly he was studying with wind turbines, if he wanted to be an engineer, if he wanted to make them. Um, But this was really his first venture to studying outside of his town, studying outside of high school, first year of college feels. And what's kind of heartbreaking about this story, um, like we just talked about, was really the reaction from the family, because from everything that I've read, Brandon was such a good kid. He came from this really tight family unit, and clearly, as you'll learn in this case, if like he was in a spot or he was in trouble, it was no questions asked. Like, I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to come help you. I'm going to come pick you up. We'll deal with the rest in the morning. Ding, ding. Oh, my God. <laughs> sorry, is that Hollywood calling? I'm sorry. I'm like... <laughs> I was so in, like, just enraptured with what you were saying, and then it was like, <laughs> oh god, family group chat that I've like muted a gazillion times. <laughs> the amount of group but chats I, I have so many group chats silenced. Do it's I can't handle it. Like, <laughs> someone entered me. Okay, I hope they don't listen to this, but somebody put me in a ballroom dancing group chat. I've got no interest. <laughs> I have no interest in going out to do ballroom dance. <laughs> Because it was, like, mentioned in, like, a group and someone was like, I want to do more dancing. And then everyone was like, oh, that's cool. That's great. She's like, I'm going to start a group chat with everybody I know who I think can dance. <laughs> She's going to get us in classes. But I, I, I would watch you ballroom dance in a hot minute. That no, would no, no, be, no, no, no. you would be incredible. <laughs> I'm all about, like, I want to take a pottery class. I'll go whale yeah. watching. I want to do a sound bath with Kathy Hilton. To tether us back to housewives. <laughs> I don't need to be out there getting ballroom dancing shoes. I don't need it. Yeah, no. But that group chat, there's like 20 plus people in that group chat and they won't shut the hell up. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I'm like, I'm like we are off our rocker on this episode. <laughs> I know, I know. Like, all right, all right. Housewives, me... <laughs> ballroom dancing. And it's all my fault, Creepers. It's all my fault. No. Okay. I'm going to get our feedback on the ground. Okay. So like we were saying, <laughs> Brandon, he came from this this really tight family unit and he wasn't a troubled kid. He had no history of odd behavior, mental illness, which is really why this incident doesn't add up. Um, and of course, every family, like you said, this is their worst nightmare. And you never think that this story happens to you. And it did. 
And this one night and this one phone call just completely shifted their lives into something they never anticipated. So I'm going to walk you through what actually happened the night of. So on the night of Brandon's disappearance, classes at the college are done for the year. This was May 13th, technically, 2008. So the disappearance, I suppose, was categorized on the 14th because it happens after midnight. So there are a couple of of end-of-the-year parties to which Brandon attends two of them that night. Everyone who witnessed him at these parties seemed to have bizarrely conflicting testimony, which I find really interesting about how Brandon was acting. Some people said he was taking shots, he was like having a really good time, and he was partying hard. And then there were other people who were saying that that's not true. Brandon was actually very casual. He was just drinking beers. He was on a very normal, you know, social level. I think that the testimony to probably adhere to here would be that of his actual friends who have no, they have nothing to gain or lose from like telling Mm -hmm. the story of what happened to Brandon that night. They said he was pretty casual. He, was, he wasn't he was drinking heavily, and there was nothing about him that indicated that he couldn't drive home, you know, or that he was just drunk beyond belief, which also mm-hmm. kind of aligns with what his parents say, because when they were talking to him on the phone that night, he sounded completely coherent. I mean, he's fully lucid. There's nothing alarming. He didn't sound wasted by any means. So we do have some confirmation that he was at least somewhat sober, but we definitely know he was at these parties. He was drinking before he left. So, what's strange about this, though, is that if we go back to the parties, uh, which is where the police will source for evidence when they start questioning these people, they really are. This group were the last people to see Brandon alive that night. His parents were technically the, the last people to talk to him, but they were the last ones to see him physically before he seemed to vanish. What we don't know is what happened to him after that second party. So, he left... Sometime around midnight, we know that. Um, And this is all the way near the college, which is in Canby, Minnesota. That's about 30 miles from the hometown where he's going to head, Marshall. Um, And it's not entirely clear why he does this. He opts to take a back road home, like a gravel back road, for like pretty much the entirety of those 30 miles. Uh, And I think that logically we could assume like he's 19, he's underage, uh, he's looking to avoid cops or a checkpoint. It's the last day of class. There's a million reasons why he might've done that, but he does. So he takes a back road solo, which is dark. No other cars, just him with this 2008 cell phone reception. (laughs) So then he's driving. And then right before 2 AM, Brandon calls his parents on his cell phone and says, he's crashed his car in a ditch. He's not hurt, but he can't get this car to move. And he needs them to come pick him up. Timing-wise, that's a little interesting to me because that's about, what, two some odd hours that had passed? And although 30 miles is a drive, yeah, yeah, it's not two hours worth of a drive. No, not at all. Well, I mean, maybe we can assume, like, some stuff had happened where he'd crashed the car and maybe tried to exercise other resources. We know that he tried to call a few friends before his parents. Maybe he got out and tried to push his car. Some stuff could have happened that maybe held him up for a while where he had, like, a lot of dwell time in this area. But nonetheless, he eventually does call the parents just before 2 a.m. And his parents, Annette and Brian, are like, absolutely, no problem. Just stay there. We're going to come get you. We'll deal with the car in the morning. That's not important. So they get in their pickup truck, and they're driving there. But they want to keep him on the phone so they can get directions, you know, every step of the way. Because they really don't know exactly where he is on this back road. He's like, oh, 
I'm kind of near Lind County. It's a back road. If you can like make your way over to like the farming areas, you'll see me because I've got my headlights on. The call drops a couple of times because the cell reception is pretty shit. Um, but eventually they do get back on a phone call, which is the final phone call, which carries the full way through for that full 47 minutes. So Branding stays on the phone. He gives them directions to this town that he believes he's near called Lind, which would have only been about seven miles from the hometown marshal, so it's not very far. They arrive to exactly where he describes, and he's staying in the car at this point. He's on the phone the whole time, just directing them like, like we said. And he tells them over the phone that he's flashing his headlights, to which they say, we, we can't see you at all. Um, but then he says something a little unusual. He tells them over the phone that he can see lights in the distance, which he believes are either their car or their lights coming from like a nearby town. They're coming from Lind. And he's insisting. He's like, I can literally see you. Like, I'm flashing my lights. Just look this way. And they're wicked confused. They have no idea what he's talking about because they're, they're basically sitting in darkness. They're like, we're looking in every direction here. We cannot find you. So he gets a little frustrated, but ultimately he decides, you know what? I'm just going to get out of the car. I can see you, so I'm just going to walk to you. And that's what he does. He gets out, stays on the phone, and he says, I'm going to walk towards these lights. So to paint the picture of exactly where he is, this is an abandoned like farm area off this back road. So he is kind of trekking through fields um, towards what he believes are either headlights or these town lights. Headlights, I'm assuming, if he's saying, I can see you. Mm-hmm. So while he's walking, he remains on that phone call the entire time with his father. And this is 47 minutes into this call after Brandon has said, like, he's passing fences. He's walking through fields. He hears running water. He unexpectedly interrupts himself. And he says the final words. Oh, shit. Everything goes quiet. The call doesn't drop, which is interesting. He does not hang up the phone and the call does not disconnect. His parents are like, Brandon? They're calling out to him. He just never answers back. But that moment was the last time they ever heard their son's voice. And this would mark the disappearance of Brandon Swanson on that night. What are your immediate thoughts about that? Oh my gosh. Um, <sighs> take a breath. Let, okay. me, let me take a, a sip of Schweppes. <laughs> I know. I'll take a sip of, of this. Mm. I'm going to have to bleep that too. Okay. My <laughs> I know. <laughs> Wait, do we have to bleep that? I think we're, we're not allowed to mention adult bre- beverages by their actual names if we want to stay monetized. Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> oh my god! I'm so I'm so problematic. You um, are canceled. I'm already 100%. canceled. If I was, if I'm not already canceled, I'm definitely postponed at the moment. Um, <laughs> okay, so. When the call, when he says, oh shit, and mm-hmm. you said the call does not drop, how long is he still silent on the phone? So that wasn't entirely clear, but his mother actually gave an interview years later. She was on um, Nancy Grace. Remember that show, Nancy Grace? She's like um, an investigator on, yeah. Of course I remember Nancy Grace. My mom and Nancy Grace used to go to the same nail salon in Atlanta. Are you serious? <laughs> Yes, they were like buddies. They were like they were nail salon buddies. Yeah, she did a whole segment on this, and she interviewed the parents. And the mother said that they stayed on the call for at least another sixty seconds because, like, I think the father was initially calling out to him, and he was like, "Brandon, 
hello, Brandon. And then the mother grabbed the phone because she said she was calling out to him too. So they had passed the phone, but they said it was really clear that like no one had hung up, you know, like he had not hung up the phone. It was just silent on the other end. So eventually they do hang up because they're like, okay, the connection's probably bad. And they keep calling the phone back, which is also interesting because it keeps ringing. It doesn't go to voicemail. So we know at that point the phone was not damaged and the phone company actually confirmed this. Okay, so they never found the phone either? They never find the phone. Okay, so my initial thought is that he was kidnapped and that, like, that person took him, took the phone, and somehow took the phone from him so he couldn't use it to call anybody, and that's my gut, my gut reaction. Well, it's it's the most logical to explain, and we'll, we'll get into a little bit of the actual investigation, because what happens immediately after this is really interesting as well, and you'll see how little evidence actually is turned up from this case. But I, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll get into the theories that talk about foul play and talk about kidnapping. And I just find it really, really unnerving to think that there was somebody who was just waiting out there on a back road. Doesn't that bother you? So, oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. It's well. And um, you said Lind is like a really small town, right? Yeah. Or I wherever mean, he thought it, he yeah. was. All of this area is pretty rural. Um, he believes, yeah, that he was just out. He was on a back road that was just outside of Lind, um, which, from what I remember reading, is pretty much just all farm and back roads, and maybe like one main central area. But it's small and rural. Yeah, I feel like it would be a wrong place, wrong time situation. But also mm-hmm. the fact that he says, "Oh shit!" Yeah, like, what is that about? What is that about? And is it someone that, like, clearly whoever it was when he saw them, they looked scary or they looked like they were about to do something. Um, if he did see someone. Well, that they, they've never given context see- as to how, yeah. like, okay, so this may sound, like, very, very over the top, but I do think, like, the the intonation of how somebody says, oh, shit, can actually indicate whether or not they're spooked by seeing something or they're falling you know, they're like tripping into something. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's two very different things. And it's never been clear from the interviews with the parents exactly how he said it. We just know those were the final words. But I can do, let me give you, while we got the momentum of this, I'm going to dive into the actual investigation that ensues almost immediately after this, right? So the question is, what happens in the immediate aftermath of this phone call? So the parents are confused naturally and they kind of start to panic a little bit because they don't really know what just happened and they're sort of frantically driving around through the dark roads just looking for him assuming that maybe the phone died or the call dropped he lost his cell phone anything could have happened right so at this point they're getting nervous because it's still dark and it's cold at this point because it's going to be early morning so they've got to find him um when they can't find him, that's when I think the, the real panic starts to set in. And after maybe another hour or two is when they first contact the police. Who are county police? Let's start with that. Initially, very non-cooperative because they think that it's too soon to technically consider him a missing person because he's an adult. It's college. It's like the first year is ending up after college. And they're kind of arguing that he has the right to be missing they were like well he's probably just sleeping out he's with a friend he's with a girl a million other things other than something has gone horribly wrong here but his parents are pretty insistent especially his mother they really press on that no this is the situation like he was driving alone he got out of his car 
he saw something and now we can't get a hold of him. So I think, let me check this research because I'm pretty sure on paper, the official police report is finally filed by 6.30 that morning. And I think that's when the first police search is conducted in Lind. So yeah, later that morning, the first police search is conducted in the area um, to which police request the assistance of the sheriff um, to look for Brandon in Lind, just like he described. But to better assist them, they actually contact the phone company so they can request an emergency copy of Brandon's phone records to figure out the exact location of where the final phone calls came from. And this is where things get really strange. So Brandon was nowhere near where he thought he was or where he said he was. He was 25 miles away from Lind. He was along State Highway 68 when he made those calls, which is kind of like a back road, like a gravel back road in Lincoln County. And what's, what's kind of weird about that, and what was weird anyway about him saying that he was in Lind, is that if you look on a map to where the hometown was, Marshall, where he was going, Lind is actually past the hometown. So to have ended up there and have gotten lost there, or stranded rather, he would have had to pass his hometown and then go through a back road in Lind. It didn't make any sense. And he's like not even halfway to the hometown where this back road was. It was so, so eerie how he got so lost or was so confused about where he was but these phone records obviously they give police you know some context location wise so they can pivot their search over to where brandon actually was and that's where they find his chevy lumina something that's really strange about this that i had not heard before but i was reading one of the original police reports of finding the chevy lumina and it was described with slight damage but what's strange about it is that they said all wheels of the car were firmly like planted on the ground and there wasn't anything that would immediately indicate that the car was immobile. So why did he say it was? It was like he crashed it, but the car would have still been drivable. I have a theory already. Okay. <laughs> well, we've got <laughs> we we've got some stuff that will will surface that will be a that may shift that for you. So let's let's see. Okay. So they're able to zero in on some of those final calls, and they keep it within this like five mile radius um, near the car and where everything was found, where we know this went down. They bring in volunteers. They've got trace canines, bloodhounds, aerial searches, everything they can. All resources are tapped to try to find out what happened to Brandon that night when he walked in those abandoned fields. So. Something unusual um, that was pointed out straight away is that in the distance from the position of the car, one of the investigators noticed there's this red lamp that's illuminating a grain elevator for one of the nearby farms, which some people have theorized could have been the lights that Brandon thought he was seeing in the distance um, and maybe what he thought he was walking towards. I don't really know how you could confuse that for headlights. Maybe you could confuse that for a town or something in the distance, but that's really all we have to go off of to assume like, Oh, if he thought he saw lights, it was probably that unless it was somebody, unless it was someone's car. So the aerial and ground searches proved to be ineffective as there's no sign of Brandon. There's no sign of clothing, nothing that could indicate he was anywhere in that area or what his path would have been that night. So police turned their attention to the bloodhounds that can track his scent to which they do find a final path. So one of the hounds leads them on this three-mile trail with Brandon's scent that gives us the clearest window as to where Brandon walked that night. 
when he made that final phone call. The scent of the hounds, um, the scent the hounds pick up on is all the way through the, the abandoned fields, all the way past the farm, uh, and eventually takes them to the Yellow Medicine River, where it appears that the scent goes into the river. Right? So the logical assumption is, okay, Brandon missed a step in the dark, and he fell mm-hmm. into the river, and he drowns. And that's the leading theory. However, that turns out not to be true. So... On the phone with his father, Brandon did mention that he was passing fences as he was hearing um, running water in the background, which kind of aligned with this, you know, the the trail that we're kind of mapping so far. We've got the abandoned farm with the fences. He's getting closer to the Yellow Medicine River. It all tracks. But upon several dive searches of that river, Brandon's remains were never found in those waters. They never found any evidence of him. Investigators took a full 30 days every day where they were surveying two miles of that river which at its deepest, it only went about 10 feet. And they never found any evidence of remains, clothing, the cell phone. Nothing was located. Um, and during that time, it's funny because Brandon's parents, from that final phone call, because I think they would have the, the, I don't know, probably the best idea, maybe if he fell into the water, if they heard a splash or they heard something that could mm-hmm. indicate, like, yeah, that, that was possible. They were so insistent that he wasn't in the river but that he was still out there alive somewhere that they actually kept their porch light on every night, just hoping that he was going to walk home, which it breaks your heart. Oh my gosh. But I think what, what's also unusual about this and what kind of quickly discounted the theory that he was in the water is that despite the hounds tracking his scent into the water, they track it on the other side of the water too. So it's almost like he went in the water and then got out the other side on the eastern side of the river, and they track the scent all the way to another gravel trail, and then into another field, and that's when the scent goes away. That's when the scent disappears. Strange, right? Oh my god. Wait, so it, it the scent goes into the riverbank, and then pops mm-hmm. back up on the other side of the river? On the other side, on the eastern side of the river continues through the woods to another trail carries along that trail for a while and then gets to an abandoned another field i don't know if it was an abandoned field gone and there's no like footprints or anything no Mm -mm. i don't think it was a place where there would be because the trail that he makes his way to is gravel Mm -hmm. and Everything else is just kind of brush, so it's it's yeah. difficult to indicate, I think, if there were footprints. It, it would be difficult to, to find that, unless he, like, truly stepped in mud or dirt. Yeah. I mean, the case has seen, like, routine searches almost every single year since 2008, and they've actually called in, like, 90 people of interest who could be connected to the case, and they have never found any additional information that could explain how Brandon disappeared. And the case remains unsolved. I I told you, like, tell me something about that doesn't seem weird as hell. Okay, so the thought that I had, and I don't remember what you said that, like, triggered it for me. Oh, I think it was that the Chevy Lumina was, like, completely, it was on all four wheels. It was mm-hmm. pretty much, like, 
I mean, I don't know how, what did you say? Like it was barely damaged or you said it was still mobile? No, it had slight damage to it, but I think maybe the police report could have been misconstrued and it could have been confusing for sure, where maybe they they just noted that all four wheels still seemed to be touching the ground, which could indicate that the car was still mobile. Yeah. Um, Which was just strange because Brandon was so insistent that he couldn't get the car out of that ditch. Okay, so So that's where I'm feeling... So I'm wondering if, um, and this would be so unfortunate, but I think, I mean, at college parties, like sometimes you get you're given drugs or like hallucinogens. Like there's a part mm-hmm. of me that wonders if he was on like something where he was hallucinating, which is, and he was just desperately trying to like drive to get to the right place and could mm-hmm. possibly explain the driving off course, seeing the lights, um, thinking he yeah. had you know, damage the car in a ditch. Like, I just can't, like, that doesn't sound like a drunk person to me. That sounds like right. they're on Hallucinate. They're seeing something that's not there. Well, yeah, yeah. I think his parents were questioned on that because that was what they originally sourced at the college party for. They were asking, you know, did you see him take anything? Did anyone give him anything? And the consensus was no. But also his parents were so sure on that phone call, they were like, he was coherent. Like, he was lucid. Really? Yeah, there were like there like there was nothing about him that even seemed like tipsy at this point. Like he had sobered up, he was talking normally, we were reasoning normally, and he was just, you know, speaking like he normally would. And something else, I was gonna tell you this a little bit later when we get into the theories. Something else about the car that really Oh god, it gives me chills just to talk about it. When they found it, all four doors of the car were found open. Yeah. Right? Oh, my God. All four doors found open. I don't care if you're intoxicated. I listen, like, you can be drunk. It doesn't matter. Your instinct is to close your car doors. Yeah. Why would you ever leave all four of your car doors open? It doesn't make any sense. No, makes no sense. But, I don't know. I mean... I also have a difficult time believing that if we're leaning towards this idea that like foul play was involved, that there's no evidence that was found in any of those fields because they were able to trace the scent, but bloodhounds can also indicate when there is the presence of blood or, or remains, but they never did. There was no blood that was found. There was no ripped clothing, no weapon, no sign of a struggle. Like there, there are forensic investigators who are highly skilled to look for these things in unnatural environments, you know? Or, or non-suspecting environments, and they couldn't find anything. Can bloodhounds also identify other human scent that's, like, nearby? Like, is that a thing they can do? Um, I'm sure they could, but I think they would have to have some kind of a reference point. Because from what I know yeah. of bloodhounds, I think you have to give them, a, like, an article of clothing from the person right. they're looking for, and then they're able to trace it. Um, we'll get into some of the theories about where the bloodhounds actually track and in, they, they do indicate to, like, something unusual to the farm where, like, Brandon's scent stops, which is strange. And we'll get into some stuff about, like, this, the owner of this property and how he, he never consented to, like, a search or anything of the property. It's a little freaky. Oh, my God. So, all right. I'm going to dive into some of these theories here. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Actually, before I dive into these theories, let's split this up. I'm going to make this a part two. So... Ooh! 
that was all i know <laughs> that was all of the exposition on the brandon swanson case if you want to hear the theories on what might have happened to him tune in for the next episode of creep time the podcast